Howdy folks, you have found, downloaded, stumbled across, however, Ronin Rabbit episode 43. Ronin Rabbit is a Usagi Ojimbo fan podcast, and I'm your host for every episode so far, Ed Moore. Today, Usagi Ojimbo volume 1, issue 30, cover dated September 1991 from Fantagraphics Books, is the book I'm going to go through. The story is Circles. This is the third part, and the subtitle of this part is Shroud Over the Mountain. Now, I believe I noticed something interesting. The source that I am using is the Fantagraphics Special Edition two-volume hardcover collection of the Fantagraphics um, books. I believe that this story, Shroud Over the Mountain, did not appear in the monthly periodical in 1991 the way that it's presented here. I believe that this third chapter, the first half was in issue 30. The second half and the fourth chapter were in issue 31. However... In this volume that I'm reading, all of Shroud Over the Mountain is one chapter, and then the fourth chapter is the next uh, quote-unquote book as you're going through this volume. So I'm not sure why it was broken up previously, but apparently it, it was put together seamlessly here for this edition. Now the story opens with a full-page panel of um, a, a pretty cool mountains in the background, uh, a darkish, maybe sun rising sky starting to lighten. Uh, fog shrouded forest, and here on the left hand side and down across the bottom part of the page is a waterfall tumbling through its water course with the rest of these things the foggy forest and the mountains in the middle and background. And as we zoom in, uh, we have a little word bubble here of somebody shivering from the cold, and we see that there is a lone guard, a lone sentry standing here amidst the forest in the fog. He is a bandit lookout and is bemoaning several things. Uh, The fact that he is out here while the rest of his buds are inside either drinking and hooping it up, or they're somewhere where it's warm, or they're able to sleep. Uh, He's also upset and concerned that he is the only sentry, so nobody's got his back if anything were to happen, or, or he needs to, you know, alert anyone or, or anything like that. He's out there all by himself in virtually all the ways that count. And as he's running through these things in his head, sure enough, someone approaches out of the fog saying that they're there to relieve him, and when the person gets close enough that both can see each other clearly through the fog. It's Usagi who promptly pulls his sword and drives it through the sentry, uh, rather killing him. Usagi then signals uh, the rest of the village men and Kenichi uh, to, to come to the sound that they have cleared out the sentry who is gagging and wheezing and coughing so I guess Usagi didn't dispatch him but rather just no I'm sorry okay now that I look at the way that this is drawn he didn't stab him he hit him with the 
pommel of the sword uh, in the solar plexus. So he, he didn't kill him outright, which I thought would be kind of out of character for Usagi. But uh, He questions the guard, and the guard lets us know that the bandit hideout is no more than three cho away. And a cho is 352 feet. Uh, interesting unit of measure. I wonder why 352 feet. Uh, the closest equivalent I can think of off the top of my head is a football field, playing field, which is 300. And now you count the end zones, and it may be closer to 350 feet. I believe it would be more, but I'd be curious to find out why it was 352 feet. So they um, continue on towards the bandit hideout. The fog is lifting, so the village men... Our little assault force is starting to get a bit concerned about being found out. We see inside the bandit hideout that all the bandits are asleep, and so is Jay. Uh, Jotaro is trying to free himself, but he's tied up too tightly. He he can't do anything. The Tokagi uh, that was there earlier comes back for more food, and Jotaro comes up with a plan to perhaps use the Tokagi to free him as he puts pickled vegetables in the ropes that are used to tie him and as the Tokagi is eating he indiscriminately grabs one of the ropes to eat it and pulls and pulls and pulls and pulls like he would a vegetable until the rope snaps freeing Jotaro who immediately goes to the rear of the room where the Tokagi has come and and entered and and left and is is trying to force his way through those weakened boards there in the back. The um, Kenichi Usagi strike force has gathered around the hut getting ready to move in when suddenly inside Jay wakes up, screams, waking up all the bandits, saying that the gods spoke to him her, whichever uh, in, in her sleep and let her know that Usagi is out there with the strike force and that the bandits need to get ready to test to make sure, uh, maybe for himself, but more for the other bandits, uh, Jay takes one of the bandits and forces them out under uh, penalty of being run through by his, her demonic spear. And as the bandit is running out into the open, he gets felled by an arrow, uh, indicating that indeed someone is out there. So Jay goes to get Jotaro to use as a shield, to use as leverage. Just as Jotaro is getting away, um, Jay scoops him up, but the Tokagi attacks Jay, who drops Jotaro, who continues trying to get out, finally squeezing through the boards and getting away, running across the field into the woods. The strike force up above sees this. Uh, um, Kenichi sends Saiburo after Jotaro to get him, make sure he's safe, take him back to the village, get him away from here. Then they see that Jay has gotten through and is running across the field also. Usagi tells Kenichi that Kenichi needs to lead the men because he is their leader on the assault of the bandit fortress, the bandit hut, really, while Usagi chases after Jay, who is chasing or who is chasing Jotoro, and makes sure that Jotoro and Saiburo are safe from Jay. So the village 
attack force sets the hut on fire. The bandits inside are working, scrambling, really trying to put out the fire, but to no avail. They're not able to. So the spokesperson, the field leader, I guess, of the bandits, comes up with the idea to use the tatami mats, which are sitting mats, as shields. Uh, Interestingly enough, I, I wasn't really aware of this, but the tatami mats must be woven tightly enough that they cannot really be penetrated by arrows, because... They do block most of the arrows pretty successfully, but there is a ground force of the um, strike force portion of the villagers that attacks on foot while the archers are slinging arrows. So it's kind of a two-pronged attack against the bandits. One page here, we have a two-thirds of a page panel, and the illustration by Mr. Sakai is of the bandit hut burning uh, several of the bandits using this tatami mats but much hand-to-hand fighting there's probably 50 plus figures in this one panel that he would have taken the time there to draw fairly distinctly Uh, we then cut to Jotaro who is running through the forest runs out of the forest to the edge of a bluff overlooking a river that seems to be pretty big in the, in the circle's story. Bluffs over rivers so far. Uh, Saburo finds him. They have a quick little, are you okay? Yeah, are you okay? And as they're walking away, Jai comes upon them and kills Saburo just as Usagi arrives on scene. So Usagi and Jai face off. Jai using Jotaro as a shield. Usagi convinces him to put Jotaro down. Now, right in here, this scene where Jai and Usagi face off, I believe was the end of issue 30 in publication. It's not the end of the Shroud Over the Mountain story as it's presented in the volume I'm using, which is where I'm continuing. So Usagi tells Jotaro to head on, you know, probably back towards the village, but just get away from here. Um, Jai attacks, trying to catch Usagi off uh, off center. And we have three, four, five, six, seven pages of Jai and Usagi fighting. Um, seldom have we seen Usagi fight with both of his swords, which he does. Uh, We have a a scene here that is used quite a bit in anime where the two combatants run facing each other parallel to each other for a a distance trying to circle around. I I don't know what the point of that is, but that that is used quite a bit. Uh, It's become a convention in uh, anime, I've noticed. Uh, Lots of fighting. Usagi breaks the head off of Jai's spear using the shaft... Jai takes the short sword away from Usagi. Now they both are wielding the longer of the two blades against each other. Still much fighting. Jai knocks Usagi off balance. He falls to the ground, separated from his sword. He sees over to the side that the uh, head, the metallic part, the metal part of the spear, is laying over to the side. And as Jai rushes him, he... 
holds it up in front of himself, piercing Jay through the through the center of his being, and then using the momentum, he he just follows through with Jay up over his head, which ends up tossing him off the edge of the bluff. Uh, Usagi off balance tumbles off the edge of the bluff as well, but he catches himself, tries desperately to to climb. We have several panels here of him slipping. His arms tiring, the rocks crumbling beneath him. Everything says that he is not going to make it. We see in a panel here that as he's trying to do this, Jai smashes into the river. So he does plummet all the way down. He doesn't catch himself. And then at the last moment, just as for you know a host of reasons, Usagi is no longer able to hold on. Uh, a hand snatches that, that lone wrist and starts to pull him up the cliff face to the land above it is Kanichi who Jotaro went and got he came and and there's an interesting little thing here between the two of them Usagi says I owe you my life and Kanichi says you saved my son you owe me nothing and then just turns and walks and leaves him um I've read a letter um where Mr. Sakai explained some things to someone in these issues when they were being published about why Kanichi is as aggressively uh, negative towards Usagi as he is. Uh, it has to do with Jotaro. Maybe I can see that. I still don't see 100%. I still think that there are times that Jotaro acts out of character. But that is the end of Shroud Over the Mountain story, which again, as I said, puts us, I think, well into issue 31 of the actual publication. Um, Usagi, Kenichi, Jai, and Jotaro were main characters in here. Uh, Mariko really didn't play a part in this part of the story. We were introduced to the word Cho, which is uh, the equivalent of approximately 352 feet. And my knowledge of the tatami mats was increased. I wasn't aware that they were woven tightly enough to be used as shields for projectiles, which is kind of cool. If you do want to uh, send any feedback, you can send it to bigtimenoise.com slash ronanrabbit. That's the website. Ronan Rabbit is on Google+. You can email me at usagipodcast at gmail.com and the episodes will go up on the Usagi Ojimbo Dojo Facebook page when they become available. Next time out, episode 44, we'll be talking about Usagi Ojimbo Volume 1, Issue 31, dated November 1991, which will be the fourth part and final part of the Circle's story, subtitled, Closing the Circle. Talk to you guys then. Ciao. The Ronin Rabbit Podcast is a Teal production, and as such, is licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution, non-commercial, non-derivatives, 3.0, unported license.